For all of you who listen to Submersion and own an Android device, go to the Google Play Store and download the Podcast Republic app. It's a fantastic app that allows you to get all of your favorite podcasts directly on your Android device. I personally use the app and I love it. I can search for the podcast I want to listen to, select it as a favorite, and have it just a click away. Make sure to select Submersion as a favorite so you don't miss any of our new episodes. Again, the app is the Podcast Republic app, available on Android devices. Episode 111. Woo! Wow, 111. 111. Triple one. Trip. Trip ones, baby. Mm-hmm. Is it a cool Roman numeral? C- no, probably not. CXI. CXI. CXI Miami. There we go. Woo-hoo! All right. So... Whatever. Tonight, <laughs> you, you have uh, three of us, Just I guess, three. today. By the time you're listening to this, it could be 3 a.m. So uh, this morning, you have three of your hosts with you. Myself, the ointment, what up? and Brom. The artist, formerly known as Brom. We, we've been kicking Until, around some other nicknames for me. I forget what they all are, though. Me too. So they're, they're obviously not good <laughs> enough. Yeah. I know they're all just oh, kind of oh, here uh, there. It was the uh the um it, the whatever brutes, right? Mechanical brutes. Oh yeah. <laughs> Brahmin is a mechanical brutes. Yeah. That's right. Mazinger Z reference. Wow, good. Still, so anyways, on, uh, we'll on put theme. that on listeners. If you've got a name that you think uh Brahm should have, go to MackeyStudios.com, send us what you'd like him to be called through the contact us page, or if you have a question about the show question for us you want us to talk about on air go ahead send it through there we do love getting mail from yes you. Oh. please please send us questions uh send us uh the referendums on our previous episode of of mistakes or things oh. you want to point out or for sure feedback you want to chime in on or things you wish you were here to say or times that jamie was correct and everyone else wrong, was wrong wrong no let's change the subject okay <laughs> Jamie's referring to previous episode that the UX01 interdimensional submarine was not in fact underwater on an ocean planet. I would still contend it was in some sort of viscous uh, material like like a, like something like water, but it definitely was not on an ocean planet and I will yeah. I will give Jamie a W. Yeah, as apparently, if we had watched some of the intervening episodes, they would have made that clear in some way. I don't know, but I already knew because I'm, you know, that's why they call me the ointment because I'm on top of it all the time. It's amazing well, how fluid you are. You know, mm-hmm. I thought you were going to say the brain right there, Jamie the uh-huh. humble. He yeah. is very humble. This man does not brag about anything other than my ailments. Because last week I was bragging all about getting stung by a bee. And the response online was, I mean, it was crazy. People were like, whoa, you got stung by a bee? That's cool. I also got stung by a bee. You're cool. And I was like, great, thank you. Um, this week, I got a toothache, and I'm I'm staring at a root canal, guys. Ooh, that's not a really? good one. Really? That's oh, a yeah. bad one. Yep. It's not, it's not doing so hot. It started up over the weekend, and it has persisted and gotten worse and worse. And so I think that, I think that sucker's got to get, uh, what do you say, canaled? Man. Yeah. So you, have to, you already went in? I went in and saw, but they weren't able to like localize it, but it's gotten considerably worse since they looked at it the first time I went in. Wow. 
So that's not fun, man. Tomorrow I'm going to be on the horn. I'm going to be calling around. Just be like, who can take me? Cause I am miserable. Uh, are you prone to like cavities and stuff? No, I think I cracked. So I cracked my tooth. I'm pretty sure. Um, um, that'll I, do had, there, I had bit down on something uh, a little while ago and I had wondered if there was a chance I'd crack my tooth. And then a few days later I started getting some pain and it's gotten worse and worse. So I think that's uh, that crack is opening. Um, so no, not typically. I haven't really had, I've only had one cavity in my entire life, but I think the crack of the tooth, uh, has done it in. This didn't happen at the pizza party, did it? It did not happen at the pizza party. I believe it happened the day before, actually. (sighs) I think I, I think I'd already, I I think I'd already cracked my tooth at that point. I I just didn't know it. of liability. Yeah. Would you have to do like a workman's comp kind of thing? Cause he's on the podcast and, uh. Tonight. Good point. It did happen at the pizza party. Oh, cool. <laughs> Shoot. I'm just going to have to Damn. tag into my, uh, talk to my homeowner's insurance, see, <laughs> see if they cover something like that. Yep. That would so be I really know. good. I know everyone's uh, we now We technically super podcast excited. from our submarine, so right. was the pizza party on a submarine? No. Uh, I think you above, might be it was good above, then, It was on top of the submarine. It's on deck of the submarine, not within it. All right. So well, welcome, this is really thrilling podcast. Welcome to so Toothcast. Do you think there is? I mean, you know what? Actually, I know there's. I'm pretty sure the dentist I go to has a podcast because if you go to the website, they have a link that says podcast on it. It so, can't what be. What is good. it going to be? Like brush twice, floss daily. I don't know. We we could check it out, or we could just become it and just talk about tooth stuff all day. Or we could <laughs> dive, 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 dive. <laughs> What began as an innocent conversation among friends would soon spiral out of control and later be referred to by future generations as the eighth wonder of the modern world. Mac East Studios takes you on the journey of your lifetime as your captains, the artist formerly known as Brahm, Jamie the Ointment, Kyle El Capitan, and the gruesome twosome present Submersion. Man, when we just did that there, I was really missing that Godzilla thunderclap at the end there. But let's see if I can put that back in. Yeah, try to add it back in. All right, we'll do what we can. Anyways, we are continuing on to the second installment of Anime Month, the brainchild of Mr. Brom. Well, sort of. I mean, I feel like, we're always looking for for new months to do uh, ways to to group our episodes into you know a nice unique little package, but uh, really uh, due in large part to the our Star Blazers uh, members on Discord, who I will continue to sing their praises for helping us get this set up. Yes, thank you guys very much because. Believe it or not, there is so much submarine content. It's hard to sift through it all. It's true. <laughs> it's, I, I never thought that would be the case when we started. But <laughs> here we are, 111 episodes in. So what did we watch, Jamie? Uh, wow, I hardly ever do this. Uh, we watched uh, Arpeggio of Blue Steel. Arpeggio of Blue Steel, uh, which was an anime from... What was it around? Like 2015. 15. Looks like. Yeah. Well, it looks no, like it's so, 13. This no, no, is the yeah. show. Yeah, the show is 2013. So oh, it aired. Okay. 
and it was one season and it was what 12 episodes or something like that and then in 2014 and 15 i think they released the episodes as two different movies so oh so they're not separate continuations of the story no just yeah i don't believe so i believe they grouped the first half and second half and did some editing and and put put them together into movies and they were actually released i mean i guess i'm i'm kind of stomping on my trivia a little bit but they were released to theaters in japan wow i didn't realize that Uh, i believe it is also alternatively titled ars nova right which we saw on on where we watch it we watched it on Crunchyroll, uh not a sponsor um but you know that obviously had the um japanese title on there and it says ars nova when you guys were watching, did you get those things that said, like, you can watch a 30-second interactive ad or 120 seconds of ads? No. Nope. I have ad block. Oh, okay. It was like, all right, the interactive <laughs> ads, it made no sense. So it was just, it was like an insurance commercial. And so I thought I was going to have to click something in the commercial. All I could do was, like, add lasers to it or <laughs> put it in night vision. Like, that's it. And I was like... I guess this is interactive. I don't know what what the heck this is. It was just like throwing a filter on the commercial. Anyways, that's totally besides the point. If anybody else saw that, let me know. Well, uh, but it is free to watch on there with uh, with advertisements if you want to check it out with us. Uh, yep. I meant to look it up. Arpeggio, that's a musical term, right? Is that like to speed up or something? Uh, don't uh, don't, stomp repeated... on, don't stomp on oh, some of my okay. trivia. All right, all right, all right. My bad, my bad. <laughs> so we did watch uh, episodes one through four in this case. Um, this was one kind of something where the third episode, it made sense to watch the first three, and then the third episode kind of previewed a big battle. And so it was good to watch Classic the fourth as well. Classic cliffhanger. Yeah, so we went it on. It was to one the we could one. not. You can't stop on that one. No, could not. I mean, and it was good to watch. The, yeah, four we could stop on, but three not a chance. Let's get into it. All right, so arpeggio of blue steel. We kind of introduced to this world in which um, everything was already kind of going to shit because of uh, global warming and stuff like that. And things, you know, cities were being submerged and things were being thrown into disarray a little bit. But what really throws the world into disarray is that this uh, big army called the Fleet of Fog arrive. And they're these ships um, that take over the world and or at least the sea. And they basically destroy anything that's in the sea and they destroy all the satellites around the earth so that everything is cut off that basically japan they cut underwater cables everything, everything. there's yeah. like no communication between countries yeah no communication they're not even at that point they're not even sure if certain places exist anymore or how well they're handling the situation or anything and so we're kind of centered on japan and being an island it's like you know super isolated so it really only knows what's happening in japan and uh all these ships are you know ai controlled and and so the the humans are trying to, or the people are trying to launch a satellite, what seems to be like a satellite into space. And they um, are trying to make sure that it doesn't get knocked down because, you know, everything's getting shot down by these AI. So they're launching it and the, the AI like monsters, the, the fleet of fog uh, show up and um, it looks like they're just going to get foiled again, except who shows up, but submarine I-401 which is actually, what? yeah, which actually has humans on it. So it looks like the fleet of bug. And as a viewer, you're like, what is, what's happening? I don't understand. And they've got, they're all weird. Like the captain's there and he's like a dress. He's like a goth kind of whatever. He's like an emo kid. And there's like a little girl who's like sitting there and she's like 
speaking all weird. There's a guy who has like a mask on who's like saying weird stuff. Other people with goggles and all kinds of other shit going on. And you're like, this is a crazy crew of crazy people. Right? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a pretty good way to describe it. Yeah. And so they're able to... Ragtag bunch of... Very diverse. Kids, really. (laughs) Yeah. So they're, they're able to take them out. Um... Take Pretty out this, easily. Yeah, this one this one doesn't turn turn out to be so hard, and so they take this guy take this first uh, fleet of fog ship out, and they go off and they meet up with like a a, a person who's like thanks for helping us do that. They were, so it turns out they were hired to help and make sure that this thing was launched, and then they reveal that actually it was it was not really a decoy, but it was more like a target. So what they they launched it into space. And it was supposed to be a target for like a uh, a weapon from the United States or something like that. I don't know. It was hard to necessarily catch everything as it was happening really fast. Yeah, there was a lot. There was a lot going on, and also in this, I don't know for you guys, but I couldn't get. Uh, it was all subtitled for me. You couldn't get any English translation. English dub, you so, mean? So, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. And also, right before this, with the weird little girl, you get a little cutscene of her going up. You're not really sure what's going on. She goes up on top of the oh, sub yeah. after they sink the Nagara, and she's like, oh, I'm sorry. You were just doing your job. And you're like, okay, this is kind of weird. I mean, I don't I don't know many people you go to battle with who say that. And then she's talking to the captain. She says, I am your ship. And immediately, you're kind of like, Weird. Something's off about her. Yeah, that's odd. I can't quite put my finger on it, but uh, a little weird right now. Yeah. So they do do a flash. This is where they do the flashback, right? Before they even find out that it was kind of a decoy. And they, they flash back to when Gunzu, Gunzu, who's the captain, he was in school. And he's kind of like an outcast because his dad was in the military and kind of got killed or captured or something uh, in the fleet of fog. Maybe defected. Defected. Ooh. Yeah. There was like all rumors and stuff like that. And so he's kind of like an outsider and he's got some friends and stuff like that. But there's this um, submarine that they were able to capture there. And they're basically like, you know, yeah, we got this I-401, but we can't do anything with it. We can't open it up. We can't do nothing. And they're like, okay. But Gunzo go- goes up and like touches it. And like the whole thing like activates. And they're like, whoa, what's going on here? That's crazy. So and- this was kind of strange here too, because from what I understood, like Gunzo and all these other people were students in this academy, right? Yeah. And this is like the equivalent of taking people and training and just saying, hey, here's Area 51. Here's something really sweet. We're going to show it to you. Yes, exactly like that. And so anyways, by touching it, uh, this girl, Iona, is, wakes up. And it turns out she's a mental model or like an AI system. And she is the ship. She basically controls every aspect of the ship. Whatever she does, the, sh- the, the boat, sorry, the boat does, all that kind of stuff. And it turns out she's like, can only, she's, meant to only respond to him now it becomes it's less clear exactly why that is she doesn't seem to even really know why that might be at least in the episodes that we watched but she goes and finds him and it's basically like you know you're my captain like yeah i I, will do anything for you and some of the stuff is a little little greasy sounding yeah Yeah, it's not great the wording you're like this is a little awkward um yeah this gunzo guy we're anything like uh gruesome from our team Ooh. Oof. kind of show what we be watching here <laughs> <laughs> and so um gunzo he's, he's kind of out there he's not sure what to do and she comes out and he eventually agrees okay i will do this i'm gonna t- i will take the um boat and i'll be the captain and we're going to save the world 
And so she gets the boat, she launches the boat out. It comes across, comes along. They hop on and they leave the academy under fire, um, but they're able to kind of escape um, without being destroyed and all that. And then it's a presumed at that point he collected his friends and got mm-hmm. his crew together. And now they, they kind of rove around and it's, they're, they're somewhat legend. They're very independent. They, but clearly in this case, they had been hired by someone to help make sure this launch happened. Um, and so they go and talk to that person and they're like, yeah, you, you lived up to all the hype and the legend and stuff like that. Great job. But by the way, this was really not a, you know, whatever it's like, it was destroyed. Oh, sorry. Yeah. That, sorry. I'm reading, I'm reading kind of a little recap. So it was destroyed in the, uh, in this, in space. And it was supposed to have a certain purpose, which was, it was trying to deliver plans to the United States for a new weapon in the United States. Oh, that's right. Is because able the space to, station had a vibration warhead. Yeah. Whatever that means. There's already a lot of weird stuff going on in here. Yeah. But, uh, and so Japan, yeah, because that was destroyed. Yeah. It was, it was, is isolated. They can't produce this weapon, but the United States can. If, if they're still functioning, they don't really, they can't, they don't know much about what's happening in the United States, but it's presumed the United States can do it. So they need someone to now deliver. To get a little further down in the weeds here, all of the uh, fog um, warships and everything have this Klein field, which is like able to repel like all conventional uh, military uh, armaments. So. They're always looking. They, the, the, I think they call them like the corrosion torpedoes and whatnot, or what they're able to use to actually harm them. So this uh, weapon on the space station would have also been something that can bypass their defenses, I guess. Yeah, it's like a like a force field that can get overloaded if you hit it with so much. But like you said, our conventional weapons don't even come close to pushing it to its limits. So anyways, I-401, they, they say, yes, we'll, we'll take the plans. We're going to resupply uh, at Yokosuka, which is where the, the, the academy was, and um, then head off. And meanwhile, there, you know, there's plans afoot by the uh, Fleet of Fog um, to start, you know, try, try to take them out. So the first, you know, uh, ship that's coming after them is Takao. Um, Takao. Uh, who's you know who's going to be approaching? And the the one interesting thing is like we didn't really talk too much about the intro. The intro is very kind of like pop, you know, emo y song, Japanese song being sung, and then like all of the mental models. Like they really don't show anyone who's in the show other than these mental models, which are all young girls, and they're all focusing on their butt and breasts, which is uh-huh. um fantastic, an interesting choice, I would say, but. Yeah, it's a little weird because literally they don't show anyone. It's like we have a captain of the ship who's like the main character. Nope, not in the intro. Only only these girls who are like the, the uh, AI systems of the boats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is it is a little odd. It was something that I thought when I was watching it, if my wife walked down, I'd have to try to like explain what I was watching. And she'd be like, yeah, right. Right. I, I, I honestly, guys, I had a moment watching this that I have not had in the 111 episodes that we've done prior where I was watching it. And I honestly was thinking like, what am I doing with my life? Right. (laughs) (laughs) And that's saying something for some of these movies we've watched. I can't believe that's the first time. I know. I, I, I honestly, I was like reeling for like a day after watching this. No joke. Just like questioning, like like, back it in. What the hell was that? 
and on, just me as a person, like, what am I doing? Like this, I'm watching anime. Like I had to think about like what I've accomplished. I'm not even joking. I'm thinking like, what have I accomplished on this earth so far? Cause I am watching this anime at 30 years of age and it is zooming in on these little animated boobs and ass of every yeah. character in the show goes through like all eight. And I'm like, okay, I guess. Yeah. And these AI systems are always I guess like, this is my life now. Yeah. This is the AI, the AI systems are always like, you're my captain. I'll do whatever you say. I'm so like, you know, I'm right now I need you as my captain. And like, it's just like, Oh my word. And didn't, didn't, uh, Iona at one point even say like, I'm your ship come inside me or something like yeah, that. And like, you made, like yeah. Oh my God. What I'm, is this? I made better. Yeah. It's just like, it was a bunch of stuff that was like, I'm, I'm not, it's like 50 shades of grayish kind of shit. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not into this. Um, anyways, episode two, uh, Takao blocks the path to, uh, Yokosuka. She's kind of positioned herself within a typhoon and um, is basically making it impossible for them to get to where they, they need to go uh, without either running into her and potentially being destroyed or going around her and then being chased and then, you know, ch basically chasing her towards um, Yokosuka and potentially having collateral damage up there. Um, so well, which was funny decide. because they gave they gave three plans right here. So like plan A was okay. We go at her and she destroys us. And they're like, okay, well, plan B. Then obviously we skirt around her, go way out of her way. And then, like you said, she could potentially chase us, possibly damage the city uh, on the shore. We're like, plan C. It's very similar to plan A, but we sink her. I was like, <laughs> yeah. I, I guess that one. I guess you got to go with that. Right? The one, one where we win, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And so they basically send out some decoys, and it happens a bunch of times in the series. They have these like little decoys and different AI systems and stuff like that. And they're they're basically saying like, there's no way she can tell which one is us, even though we're seeing Takao basically say seeing it and being like, we I know which one it is. And all of a sudden, um, the captain's like, um, oh shit, she knows it's us. Turn and quickly turns and just barely uh, gets away from uh, getting hit by. A super gravity cannon, which would destroy them, uh, more or less. And what they, what turns out, Gonzo is basically like, uh, you could tell because she was pointed straight at us. Like there was no wavering, there was no nothing. And being an AI system doesn't really know how to be tricky. So if it, if we were doing it, we would point at one of the decoys and then quickly turn and shoot, and there would be no time. But she doesn't know how to do that, so she she tipped her hand. Um, while Takao's kind of being like what bozos, what idiots, like, um, they're just gonna be destroyed anyways. They, you know, I barely missed, but next time I'll get them kind of stuff. And so, uh, he is, is like, how would, how is it possible? We presumed that there's no way they could ever have seen us. So how could it be? And they say, there must be another ship. And if we're not seeing the ship, the other ship must be under them, which means there must be a submarine right under their ship. And that's why, A, they can't really move that much and how they were able to see us. And so now they start to, like, change their plan a little bit to account for the fact that there's a submarine underneath, um, which can so be was both it good So this I got a little confused on. So was it they saw them, like, line of sight, not through sonar, correct? What do you mean? Because, they, you know, they said, well, how could they find us another ship? And yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Well, if they're running active sonar, too, they're going to see the decoys. But so they must have had a window in this. I don't know. I don't if know. They could have. 
I think that maybe oh, yeah. maybe they were using some kind of uh, you know advanced sonar double point like point you know trajectory where they're like that must be the real one. I have no idea. All right, yeah. And so then Gunzo, they they turn out they have a super gravity cannon as well. They got they got it when they um, when they beat that previous ship. They got one of the these like super secret great weapons that the fleet of fog have, um, and it's something that really no one even knows. And they don't they don't even know how to necessarily how to use it. They're like, are we really going to try using this thing? Like, who knows? You know how this will work and blah 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 all this stuff. And so they decide, um, no, we're going to do it. They aim it and they destroy. Uh, the submarine using it and then because it was unexpected who, who would have thought that they would have the super gravity cannon and Takao um, ends up surrendering and uh, allowing everything to be shut down on her ship and, and allows like the uh, you know I-401 to be able to make it to the uh, harbor the Yokosuka um, without being followed kind of stuff and so Takao at that point and this is another every episode seems to have like a little weird conversation from this regard which Takao's kind of um, interested in the idea of having a human on board like maybe I should have a captain um, maybe that maybe there is things we can learn from having a captain and having to like listen to the commands of this captain and the dynamic is just odd yeah uh, do you got yeah. that quote somewhere Kyle I, I don't Something about a human unit seems, oh, seems yeah. to have uh, I want that. great what did, what did it say? I, too, would like to have that unit. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's looking at I, too, would like to have that unit. That's good. Yeah. Very, a yeah. lot of uh, sexual, uh, what's the term? Is it even innuendo? It's not really innuendo. Innuendo. There we go. Yeah, I guess. It's, it's more like, really it's more like allegories. And, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty straightforward, right? Yeah. You say I want that unit. Most people know. Most people know what's going on. Come, come board me. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. And we even see her. She ends up. I think it's the next episode. She ends up going to a library and like looking up like a cat, like a book on captains and stuff like that. It's basically like her, <laughs> it's like her, like her porn. She's like looking at it, being like, "Oh, yeah. captains." <laughs> Look at this! I've like, heard oh. what they heard what they do with uh, their trousers from yeah. the submersion podcast. <laughs> Exactly. Nailed Good it. God. Uh, so then we're in episode three. Um, I-401 has reached uh, Yokosuka base for repairs and resupply. And uh, they go in and they kind of split up. And, and almost immediately the people on the boat are surrounded by um, army people like uh, at gunpoint. Uh, Gunzo and Iona, they go off to this memorial and they're kind of hanging around there. And uh, it's kind of like what you said, Brom, with the in the previous episode about sometimes in these anime where they can get to try to be really profound. Mm-hmm. There's a long sequence of them being like, and this is for like blah, blah, blah. And there's like really profound statements uh, for a while. And then they're also surrounded by the army people with guns. Um, and they're basically like, you're invited to dinner. And by the way, not just invited, you're being forced to go to dinner. And they go to dinner and it's, it is the, the head of the army who's basically like, um, heard what you've been up to. You seem pretty sweet. Uh, we've got this big old wall around Yokosuka. Ever heard of it? It's pretty great. And you're going to work for us now. Uh, you're going to give us I-401, and we're going to use it uh, for for ourselves instead of you being all independent and shit. We can't, we can't have that anymore. And they're like, um, no. <laughs> Basically not going to happen. And especially not going to happen because, uh-oh, I-400 and I-402 
are heading this way. And we get a bunch of sequences of them kind of planning the attack. Like they're talking with people. You should go after them at Yokosuka. They go and see Takao and talk to her a little bit. Um, even though Takao's like, I'm just going to, I'm going to bide my time and get Gunzo as my captain. I'll get that, get that sweet Captain D um, unit on my. Sweet Captain unit. Yeah. You know. And. So instead, Haruna and Kirishima, which are 400 and 402, they come and attack. They're blowing up the wall. Everyone's like scattering. And Gunzo's like, uh, we got to bounce because we got to save the world. So fuck you, army guy. And they hop on their submarine and head off. And that's the cliffhanger because we're in episode four. We're going to see the big battle at that point. That's right. So we had to watch a fourth episode. Yeah. Because that third one was kind of like middling. It's like a lot of that... Lot of like at a set up, build up, yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of that Dragon Ball Z or other shonen, Yu Gi Oh, all those where they really set the stage for some grand battle further, further down the road, yeah. So then, uh, Haruna and Kira, the battle with uh, Haruna and Kirishima 400 and 402, um, they are basically like, okay, we we didn't even get to really replenish our supplies very well, we only have like six, um whatever vibration warheads or whatever how are we going to destroy them and they're kind of going through all the possibilities of what to do and they gunzo is basically like we gotta we gotta kill at least one of them here and then we can draw them away and go after the other one but one of them's got to go here or else we're done and they're like okay and so they decide they got to be tricky they got to be humans right they got to be scrappy they gotta they gotta get you know throw these AI systems for a loop, and so they start off first by going into their ruins. So because of global warming, there's a lot of flooding of old Yokosuka, and they go into there, and they send out a whole bunch of like decoys and stuff like that. And, they, the, the, and they're like, are they? Uh, they're like century turrets for torpedoes, also. Yeah. So like they'll put it off in a remote location, and it'll just lock on to. 402 and 400 and shoot torpedoes at them. Yeah. And they're like, ha, 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 what idiots. We would never get tricked by that bullshit. And they destroy all those things. They're like, okay, they were decoys. And they're like, oh, and, but Har- I think it was Haruna was much more, um, much more skeptical of just how poor they would be. Like, is, is a little more thinking of them more as worthy enemies. Cause they're is like, she oh, the well. one who was in the giant overcoat. Yeah. And she's like, you know okay. what? It wasn't so crazy. Like we did lose them. Like we don't, we don't know where they are anymore. And Kirishima's like, come on, we'll find them. It's like no big deal or whatever. And so they're going around and they get a sense of like where something is, like where it potentially is. And they're like, ha, like F you, we're going to kill you now. And they launch something over there. And all of a sudden from behind them, they get hit by another warhead, Kirishima. And she's like, wait, what's going on? And it turns out, oh, they were really, you know, humans being tricky again. They'd used like as a decoy, like an old battleship and covered it in like nanoparticles. And so it made it, it kind of pinged in a way that made it seem like it was a new kind of relevant target. And so, you know, showing off a little bit, being like humans and all that. And so they're like, okay, um, uh, they, what, what happens now? Oh, and then there's a, another surprise attack with, uh, something else or, or at this point, is at this point, do they, do they go kind of insane? Does Kirishima go kind of insane? Yeah. She's, she's kind of losing her stuff because yeah. she thinks that they should be winning so easily, but these humans are pretty scrappy. And so at this point, 
now she says, you know what? Why don't we, why don't we do what we can do here and meld these ships together? And at this point, Gunzo's pretty excited. He's like, hey, this is pretty cool. We were going to sink one of the two, but now they're just one big one. Why don't we sink that? Yeah. And they generate a huge, they actually get into like a tractor beam. Uh, 401 and bring it up into the air and they're using their like thrusters to kind of keep out of being the target of this giant like cannon of when they're combined and everyone's like we're dead right because they're 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 shooting stuff they try to shoot once at like the main target and they're able to block it and they're like silly you know submarine humans like you're not gonna you're not gonna hit us that way whatever and then all of a sudden out of nowhere a missile comes and destroys them and it turns out that they were even trickier as humans they had left one of those little ai torpedo things on the battleship decoy that they had used before so they weren't going to suspect it there and launched from there and destroyed both ships yeah they were charging their laser kind of thing and then while they were charging at the decoy torpedo piloted right into the center of the the laser and backfired it basically and blew up the whole thing yeah, so Harun is able to just barely salvage her ship, um, or, or salvage herself at this point. Oh, Kira- right there. Kirishima is like, I don't want to die. She's finding the humanity in herself. At the last moment, Harun is able to grab her core, which I guess at some point will mean that she's going to be reborn, probably. She doesn't totally die. And then mm-hmm. we we see her... The final scene, which is appropriate for the last scene that we watched in this, is a child stumbling upon Haruna having been blasted onto the beach, and she's just laying there virtually nude in in underwear. Um, And that's the last scene we saw. (laughs) That's it. Yeah, it's her in underwear. Yeah, uh, the the one in the overcoat seemed to have a revelation, and I don't know if this is kind of building up, but she kind of experienced human emotions of regret and things like this that she was talking about the whole episode. So I don't know if it's kind of building up as a series to like all of the AI sort of teaming up against the the main bad AI uh, working together. I don't know. It's kind of the the vibe I got from it. Yeah, and we we saw snippets of some quote-unquote overlord AI having tea with all these... I mean, I don't know what exactly is going on in those scenes, but someone is talking with them about what's going on at Earth and trying to figure out why Iona's doing what she's doing. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of Altered Carbon a little bit. The AI and Altered Carbon will always uh, congregate at this poker lounge, and they'll, they'll drink and gamble, and it reminded me of that, obviously, with... Uh, uh, young, young girls take on it with a little mm. tea party or something. But it is weird. I didn't think about that. Yeah. But yeah, that's it. That is Ars Nova, aka Arpeggio of Blue Steel. What about the reviews? First third of the series. Who wants to go first? We're doing these out of six because this is a TV show, correct? Yep. Okay, I can start here. Somebody's got to start. So, as we'd mentioned, there's a lot of weirdness here with, um, I guess, the sexuality of this show. Like, yes, it's over. It's over. Over sexualized. Yeah. Yep. And 
in just like a creepy way, I guess. I don't yep. know why. Especially um, the one AI, Iona, the very the first one, because you're like, dude, that's yep. like a that's like a kid. This is weird. They as even hell. say they're like, oh, you're like a pretty young thing. Oh, you're so young. Look at it, like, whatever. And they keep talking about her like as a as like a child. And then there's all this kind of undertones to it where you're like, eesh. That's not great. Yeah. You're like, I'm not comfortable watching this. But uh, so if you take that into consideration, I get, well, that'll go towards the score, I guess, at the end. But I thought uh, visually, like the explosions that we get with a lot of the ships and all that, I thought that was really well done, especially right when we open up. I want to say it's like uh, 2039 is the year, I want to say 2039. And you just get all these really cool explosions with the uh, battleships and all that. And I thought that was really well done. Some of the stuff that I really wish we would have got more of is, and I know it's short, you know, 12 episodes, but we have no idea at this time really who the crew members are. Yeah. And it's such, such a small crew that you'd like to know mm-hmm. your, your characters. Cause I mean, we've got, our captain, and all we know about him is, yeah, maybe his dad defected, and kind of emo. People were, yeah, he's kind of emo. People at his school were saying, oh yeah, you know, they people say he's a really good captain, but I think it's just because his dad got killed in the war or whatever. And then, like, okay, you know, I would have liked to see some of his training, whatever, and why maybe he was highly regarded by his instructors. Then the other people who just whoever in the heck they were, other than some guy, it's like, wow, that uh, that chick is so hot that just came up here to see you, and then all of a sudden that guy's on the ship. You're like, okay, whatever. Uh, but <laughs> and I'd like to see more about the aliens, I guess. You know, see where the fleet of fog came from, and I think that that will eventually happen as the show progresses. But. Oh, man. I think there's this concept can be done. And, Jamie, I mean, I've even talked with you because we talk about the audio drama every once in a while, right? I've <laughs> yeah, talked about things like this, but not not with the, uh, the AI like they have it in here. This is, right. this is weird to me. So, I don't know. Maybe I just don't get it. But like I said, this is something that if my wife came down, I'd have to try to explain what the hell I was watching, and I don't think I could. It literally made Brom question his own existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, no joke. And I guess, you know, what what more can you ask for in a show, right? But I thought the battle scenes were well done. And I don't know. I, I guess I'll go ahead. If we're going out of six here, man, just because it's... Uh, I don't know. There's some weirdness here. I'm gonna give, <laughs> I'm gonna give it a uh, two point seven five. All right. Yeah, and I can I can jump in because I was gonna come in just around there too. Um, I just I, I don't know. I feel like this after the previous one, which I really like, Space Battleship Yamato. Um, I guess I was a little disappointed in this one. Not not so much because of the battles or submarines and stuff like that. That's all there, and it's good and it's fun. Um, it's kind of all the extra stuff, kind of, I guess what you would expect to see, uh, or I guess it, it, like stereotypically what I would have thought not being an anime, um, 
you know, typical anime watcher or someone who watches them frequently, I would have thought in my mind, if I had to think of an anime, this is, what would it be? It'd be kind of like this. It'd be like these, you know, we know girl characters who are wearing tight clothes and getting ogled here and there. And, uh, then, you know, these profound statements by the characters and stuff like that, like Brown was saying, and I don't know, it's just like a lot of the stuff that I wasn't super keen on kind of mixed in with the submarine stuff. Um, so I was going to kind of come in right in the middle and then a little bit low because of, yeah, that, that it just, it's a little of a, a put off to have kind of these weird, like 50 shades of gray kind of dumb sub stuff, um, mixed in there. It's, it's, it's not even, I wouldn't even say it's like, uh, subtle. It's, it's almost overt at times, this idea of, um, these young girl AI systems being kind of commanded by a captain and then also, um, kind of being able to be the best that they can be only when they are being controlled by this guy. It's just, I don't know. It's like the, the implications and kind of the idea of that is um, uncomfortable and I don't like it. So I'm going to give it a two and a half out of five, out of six. Wow. Uh, I w- I'm going to fall in the same spot. Uh, not to beat a dead horse, I will treat them as bullet points. Uh, over-sexualized young girls was not great. It was over-dramatic, I think, which was kind of returned to form uh, after watching such a great anime last week that was really fun. Uh, like you said, Space Battleship Yamato. Uh, this one had all the in- internal monologues and that drama that I, I really didn't like about anime. Um, there was really no character development. I would have liked to have seen more of the the crew. I think Kyle was saying that. I would like to have seen more of the crew, how they came together, uh, and who they are. I'm sure there'll be a little bit of that in future episodes, but I'm not, I don't know, maybe not. Um, it seems to have kind of this strange pacing to it. Um, it's, it's, you can understand what's going on, but you don't really understand the why. Um, so it's very, very bizarre narrative. Um, I would have liked to have seen, you know, different AI character styles. I kind of liked that idea. You know, that, you know, I like when we, you know, venture into uncharted waters with our submarine content that we, we take in, you know, you can only watch so many, well, it's, it's not accurate. I was going to say you can only watch so many classic submarine movies, but that's, I, I'll watch as many of those as you'll throw at me. But uh, when you actually get into the uncharted waters here, you know, with the, the AI are, are being manifested as these, what were the mental models on the boats? I think that's kind of cool and unique territory, but how cool would it have been if instead of a whole bunch of over-sexualized girls, if there was maybe, you know, one of those, if that has to be 401 as this, this young schoolgirl, but you know, what if there's this, you know, you know, Italian fencing ace and a uh, Japanese martial artist and a uh, hulking, you know, black boxer or something like that, you know, to have like all these different characters with uh, unique personalities and they all, you know, pilot their ships in different ways and have different attack strategies, but they all fell, fall short of, you know, being able to partner with humankind in some way. And that's hmm. kind of like the whole thing. That is interesting. That would be a lot more fun, I think. So I'm, it would be actually, it'd be more fun from like a, even from like a, a software point of view, um, just AI in general, right? Like right. they could each be different types of strategy. One would be the gambler, Monte Carlo, uh, that kind of stuff. Like, it, yeah. you know, there's ways you can play on that to make it kind of fun from even 
like a coding point of view. I yeah, yeah, absolutely. It'd be it'd be fun even just as a viewer to like imagine what the other characters could be as we're kind of starting to do right now. Um, instead, you've got what we got, which was a little awkward and and uh, uncomfortable to watch at times. Um, so and repetitive, and the only and the only different one that we got to see at least was the one wearing a giant coat who then had that coat blown off of her to reveal that she was in lingerie. <laughs> yeah. So. Correct. Um, yeah. Unfortunate. I'm going to give it a two and a half as well. All right. All right. You guys ready for some trivia? Yes. All right. So I I'm, I'm going to start with a little bit of trivia about this. I didn't, I, you know, didn't really get too much, from IMDb, it's actually some of these shows aren't really don't have a huge presence on IMDb. To a certain extent, IMDb is self curated, um, so or user curated. So you have to kind of um, go with what's on there, and there wasn't too much um, on the IMDb for the actual shows. But the Wikipedia had some information um, that was interesting, such as that the manga is still actually going on. So if you were interested, like you were going to read the manga, there's 17 volumes, and it, there's it's still being published, as far as I can I can uh, see. Um, there was only one season of this anime, as we talked about, and it was uh, collected and re-edited into two films. And they were released to theaters, so I know one of them at least premiered number seven in the Japanese box office and made, I think, a little over a million dollars. Um, number seven, really? Yeah, and I mean, I think I think they were, yeah, they're only released in Japan, uh, which makes sense. And you know, they make um, just over a million, you know, just in Japan. Um, so it has an audience, I guess. Um, and then, yeah, the opening theme song is Savior of Song, performed by Nano and My First Story. Hmm. And then the, the two ending theme songs are performed by Trident. Um, okay, now I will say, those ending theme song, it would kick in with uh, some really kick-ass uh, like synthesizer parts, and that did kind of shock me. I was pretty happy with that ending song. Yeah, I actually but. liked the... Uh ending song as well i thought it was kind of at the it was kind of in the intro song though too right the same electronica yeah bit. it was different so i want to say it was the ending of the first yes. one and then for the beginning of the second they're like hey that was pretty cool why don't we use that yes. at the intro here that's exactly right and then are you guys ready for some some questions from geopardy sure Yes. All right. So I found these. Uh, so musicians use this Italian term for a broken chord whose notes are played in succession. Is it arpeggio? That's correct. Good one, Brahm. Uh, how about this one? A term for a chord played one note at a time, proceeding in order, usually from the bottom up. A scale. Wrong. Ugh. Okay, I got to guess. Bottom up? It's not like a chromatic scale? Wrong. It is arpeggio. All right. Wait, the what? sounding Great. of the notes in a chord, one after another, in rapid succession. Arpeggio. arpeggio. <laughs> That's arpeggio, yep. Uh, on the piano, it's sounding the notes of a chord in sequence rather than all at once. <laughs> arpeggio? Correct. Uh, as Italian term for running your fingers quickly up or down the keys of a piano or the strings of a harp. Arpeggio. Wrong. Oh. Eddie answered arpeggio incorrectly. The correct answer is a glissando. Oh. <laughs> so we all learned something here. No, but I, I found that they had the, uh, arpeggio has been the answer four times in Jeopardy. Uh, and then one time it was incorrectly given as an answer uh, for the true answer, glissando. And wow. then there are two Ooh, actual that questions. That had been $2,000, right? Uh, which one? The glissando, glissando one? Glissando, yeah. Yes, that was a $2,000 yeah. one. Um. How about this? Uh, and then there were two real ones that involved arpeggio. A 
Chopin Etude is named after this natural feature. Here the arpeggios cascade up and down the piano. What is a waterfall? Good call, yes. And for his starring role in The Pianist, he shed 30 pounds and brushed up on his arpeggios. That's Adrian Brody. Brody, yes. And then, finally, Phantom Zone. He did. Dude, he doesn't have 30 pounds to lose. Not after the pianos, at least. That's how I think most people know him. It sands 30 pounds. Yeah. And then, yeah, Phantom Zone. Engage the Phantom. Phantom's engaged, sir. Yeah, so these are kind of hard, um, mostly because, yeah, as I said, IMDb doesn't really have a cast list for these uh, these, these types of series. Um, so I had to go old school and kind of do this manually. Um, so Kazuyuki uh, Akitsu played our main, main character, uh, Ganzu, and he was also in a series called JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Um, it has a series of episodes featuring a submarine, and that also stars uh, Kenta Miyaki, who is in the Professor Layton and the Eternal Diva film, which I've used before. I used that way back when for Super Atragon, where I said that Kiyochi, Koichi Yamadera voiced Pierre Starbuck in the Japanese version of that film and also played a television producer in Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah, Giant Monsters, Auto Attack, which is what, we, what I actually used last week as well. So that same guy who played the television producer. Uh, since he's also uh, a voice actor. Um, and so, yeah, last week I had to use a dude to get the connection. He seems to be the key to everything. He's almost like the Japanese uh, Ed Harris in the end, the key to everything. Um, it's interesting because there already was a Japanese Ed Harris. Did you guys know this? Yeah, Taro Shimano. Well, no, there's a Japanese robot Ed Harris, and it was called Mecha Whoa. Ed Harris. Oh. It ravaged the world in his quest for Greece. Greece was nowhere to be found in the world because Mecha uh, Ed Harris had uh, taken it all for himself. Uh, cars stalled in the highway, no grease for the cars. Abs were left ch- chafed and raw. It was it was horrible. And it was a disaster on a scale um, never before seen. So Wow. What about Ed Harris? Where would he, where would he begin this film? Uh, would it, where would Ed Harris be good? I'd like him as, if we had the alternative AIs. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Just like, is that the Ed, is Ed, Ed Harris? Ed Harris? Yeah. And just like his actual video of Ed Harris inserted into the, uh, into the TV show. Oh, that'd be good. Everyone else's like, cartoons. Yeah. He could be like, like he a could who be like Roger Rabbit situation. A reverse, a reverse who framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> or he could be like Patton and like the AI takes the form of Patton after their love of his tactics or whatnot. So he plays Patton in this scenario? I, I'm just saying, like, some a famous, like, American, like, Ed general Harris. kind of deal. Yeah. Ed Harris. Ed Harris. Yeah. Famous Ed general. Ed Harris from, from Geostorm. Ed Harris. <laughs> well, he wasn't, he wasn't a general. He was, the, he was the Secretary of Defense or something, right? Actually, you could have him do a bunch of roles. Isn't Ed Harris from Radio in here? Ed Harris from The Rock. Wasn't he a general in that? Or a defect? Uh, he was, I mean, he was, he was a, quote a bad guy. terrorist, right? Right, but sure. Depends whose side you're on, right? I got yeah. Uh, I went, I, a guy I went to high school with uh, released a podcast, uh, an episode of his podcast today, where he said he was. Uh, he talks about how he tried to track down a VHS, VHS copy of Geostorm. So I'm gonna have to check that out and listen to that episode. <laughs> That's not possible. Well, actually, that was something that I had I had thought of as a business idea. Yeah, we've talked we, about bring that. You make VHS. VH, no, you make VHS tapes of new movies and you sell them on like Etsy. Yeah. Yeah. We've got the technology, man. That's probably very illegal. Oh, super illegal. 
Most <laughs> undoubtedly. But it'd be fun making the cases and that type of stuff, right? That would be. Right, yeah. And if you invite somebody over for a movie, it's like, why, why are they busting out this VCR? And it's like, whoa, what is this? They're like Avatar. <laughs> yeah. They were still making VHS at this time? Uh, yeah. You want to watch Inception on VHS? It's the only way. It's the best way to watch it. VHS. Truly is. Yeah. Who knows it? Some hipster trend might come back around. We'll be all watching VHSs again. Almost definitely uh, not. Jamie and I <laughs> still are. So we are, but it's an unfortunate technology. Like, oh, like it feels like it's rough. It's, <laughs> it goes wrong all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's it doesn't look the best either, it, especially because it'll age out. You know, that's I'm converting family videos because they say like the film only lasts so long. So it's like. Time to get on these ones from, you know, 89 and 90 and get these things converted. Yeah, I remember having yeah. a, back in the early 90s, having a little VHS tape that you would pour this liquid in and you'd stick it in your VCR to clean the VCR. Right. And that's how you'd oh, get it to, to clean work the heads again. and yeah. stuff. I remember growing up, we had a lot of Betamax and then our Betamax player broke and a lot of my favorite movies were on Betamax. So it was like all the Star Wars original trilogy and all these ones. And we were devastated, me and my brother. Eventually, he was able to convert the Betamax original trilogy and stuff to uh, digital. But um, we decided, okay, we're going to take one of them. We're going to see if we can't convert it to VHS. But as a kid, our idea of converting it was just taking the Betamax apart of, of a, I think it was Peter Pan, and putting it into a VHS tape. So we just took the oh, reel man. out. We popped it into the VHS. And obviously, you know, you couldn't see anything, but the sound worked fine. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> yeah, it's just like the, the sound, you could hear the movie and it sounded fine, but you couldn't see anything, obviously, because it was a Betamax in a VHS tape. Wow. Somehow yeah, stuff. we're stuck talking about VHSs again. Weren't we on this like two weeks ago? <laughs> Probably. Talk about well, I mean, I'm looking in my room right now. I've got three VCRs in the room where I'm recording <laughs> right now. One of them is Jamie's. Yeah, because my VCRs would not work to convert a video, but his works. That thing is, I didn't realize that thing is heavy as hell compared to the other ones, man. Oh, it's super heavy. It's 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 real lame. I had to fix it. I became like a VHS fixer expert, um, and like took it all apart and put it back together. I don't know. Yeah. Welcome to VHS Cast. (sighs) All all things VHS. Dude, I'll tell you what, man. I went to a national chain thrift store and bought. VHS players, and you can. <laughs> I bought a bunch of VHS or uh, VHSs. Also, you can get them. I think they were like three cents a piece. Wow! <laughs> it was like episode one, Star Wars on VHS. Uh, done. Watch that sick pod race in that. All right, it's time. It's it's sub sub world world wide wide. Been a few weeks since I've done subs worldwide. I have not had much sleep in the last month. So I was finally able to get this done. And Jamie, I thought it was funny you brought up Super Atragon because I talked about this sub 79 episodes ago in Super Atragon episode, but I figured it was... 
It's been almost two years. We should bring it back, discuss this submarine. So kind of a little throwback, but it is relevant to this show. So the Blue Steel is the I-401, as we all know. It is an I-400 class submarine, which when I thought it was weird for the show, the uh, battleships that came in in episode four or end of three, end of four, were the I-400 and the I-402, because those in the Japanese Imperial Navy are submarines, but is what it is. There's a lot going on in the show that doesn't necessarily have to be real, so is what it is. This is the largest submarine ever built, well, when it was launched in December of 1944 up until the 1960s. So it was 400 feet long, had a beam of 39.4 feet, had four diesel engines in it that each generate 2,250 horsepower for 29... That's a lot of horses to fit in a boat. Well, you don't have to, have to fit on the boat. They're mostly tied to ropes on the land, aren't they? Pulling that's them? true, yeah, and they're just pulling the thing along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of rope. It's a lot of rope, that's true. Tons. Uh, it had two electric motors that each generated 2,100 horsepower. Uh, for the range, usually online, uh, I get a lot of this stuff from Wikipedia, but usually the range, you can find nautical miles or something like that. But all I could see was that these could go around the world one and a half times. So hmm. a long way. Take that for what it is. Yeah, a long way. Uh, well, for the, its uh, speed with all those horses running along the shore, while they were surfaced, they could travel along at 18.7 knots. And while submerged, 6.5. Has a test depth of 330 feet. And I kind of missed in our movies, we haven't seen crush depth in a long time. But remember, we used to see so much of it. And we haven't seen it in a really long time. It's true. Uh, we're we're going hundred... to I, I, I guarantee you during Jamie's Good Movie Month upcoming, we'll see it. Yeah. I'm really hoping so. Uh, it held 144 crew. And on the sub, it had these special demagnetizing cables on the outside because a lot of mines are driven off of magnetized fields. So if something metal comes in contact, boom, it'll blow up. And these are meant to kind of neutralize that field and you can slip through. I don't know how successful that was, but I guess for these, it worked out okay. Uh, It had a sonar slash radar array that could detect enemy aircraft from 43 nautical miles away. And it had two periscopes made by Germany, one for the day, one for the night. And now these submarines, you might not, you probably don't remember them from any of that stuff I just talked about. You might remember them for this reason. So these things are so big because they have a very specific purpose. The I-400 class are meant to carry planes on them. Huh. So they can hold three Aichi M6A1 Siren seaplanes. You can't which, land uh, on were, it, though, I'm assuming, right? Well, we'll get to that okay. in a little bit. You're correct. You cannot land on the sub. But uh, these seaplanes uh, were specifically mm, designed a, to... Maybe a helicopter, though, right? Potentially. Hmm. But not, not for these subs. Uh, these were uh, the seaplanes were specifically designed to work with these submarines. They were launched out of the sub because you think of a you know 
aircraft carrier, whatever they got runways. You don't have that luxury on a submarine. So they were launched with a catapult mm-hmm. uh, system. Right. I uh, these that. Are, yeah. These uh, planes are two seaters and hopefully after they went around and carried out their mission, they could land next to the submarine because the submarine has a collapsible crane near the front of the boat which is 26 feet tall, and with its boom, it can extend out to 39 feet. But if the plane needed to, it could drop its floats off to uh, you know, help improve maneuverability and all that type of stuff. And fitting a plane on a submarine, especially three planes on a submarine, uh, takes up quite a bit of space. So these planes were also designed with wings that could rotate 90 degrees and fold in against the uh, body of the plane. You can't submerge with the, the planes on them, though, right? You can. You can? Yeah, you can submerge. Oh. Interesting. It's pretty crazy. That is cool. Because the planes are held inside the submarine. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty nuts. Uh, so there were 28 of those planes built in total. Uh, for the other weapons aboard the sub, less the planes, we had eight forward torpedo tubes, one 14-centimeter 11th-year type naval gun, three 25-millimeter, and I'm not sure what the difference is here. We got three 25-millimeter triple-mounted type 96 autocannons and one 25-millimeter single-mounted autocannon. So these were originally... Uh, the brainchild of Admiral Isoruku Yamamoto, and he wanted to attack American coastal cities. So he got in contact with someone and said, hey, I've got this wild idea. Why don't you go ahead and design it? They originally were going to build 18 of them, but Yamamoto passed away, and the idea, I guess, wasn't super favorable or something with other people because they almost immediately cut the production from 18 to nine and then they slashed it again and they kept slashing it. And so eventually only three of them were built and they were the three that we saw on the show, the 400, 401, 402. But due to their size and some limitations in the design, they were super hard to maneuver and really strong winds could easily blow these things off course. And they did... I mean, they were, you know, end of the war was very shortly after these things were laid down because the first one was uh, commissioned in December of 44. So there was a plan to use one in what was called Operation Cherry Blossoms at Night, which the submarines would have taken their seaplanes and dropped biological weapons on San Diego uh, called a quote-unquote flea bomb, which would potentially spread infection up and down the coast, killing a lot of people. One thing that is kind of unfortunate with these boats, because they do sound really cool, especially being able to see, you know, that catapult and how they would launch a plane and all that. Um, None of them are saved as museum ships. All of them, all three were either scrapped, scuttled or sunk. So I'm seeing them sunk as targets. Two of them at least. Yeah, I know two of them off one of them was actually discovered in 2005 by a DSRV and it's 
2,690 feet off the coast of Barber's Point. So you can go check that out if you're a diver. Free dive. Yeah. And one of them, the 401, I just wanted to get a little bit of information on the 401 because that's the one that's focused on in the show. When it surrendered, they immediately launched their planes with the catapult into the sea to get rid of them. And I think they destroyed all kinds of documentation and stuff. They didn't want anybody to find it. And then um, that was when, you know, surrender was announced. And then eventually an American ship caught up with them and the boat officially surrendered. And the captain delivered two katanas to the U.S. commander of that ship, which is a symbol of surrender. Do you think he got to keep this? Dude, I would hope so, right? That's something that you would hang in your house. Seems almost like something like a like a seven hundredth home run ball by Babe Ruth, where like the Navy would come along and be like, "We're gonna have to have this. <laughs> okay, yeah. that's important. You're not just gonna have those in your house." Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, probably they probably would. Or we look on eBay and they're selling for like forty thousand dollars right now. We're like, "Whoa, let's use this podcast money to buy those katanas." We could. So that's what I got. That's what I got for Subs Worldwide. That's the I-400, a little blast from the past from about two years ago, but I figured it was relevant enough to bring up again. It's new to me. Yeah, man. If you forget, it's all new. Right. It's like reruns. Here we go, man. eBay handmade katana, 53 bucks. Is it from the I-401? I wish. Huh. Pass. Looks pretty sweet, though. You like your Japanese cutlery, Kyle? Big time, man. Ginsu knife? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Might want to go with the Naginta. <sighs> oh, you've already you've already schooled me in Japanese cutlery, because I don't know what that is. No, I'm trying is. to quote the office. I'm not even sure if that's a thing or not. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Dwight, Dwight keeps bringing up this this knife. He's trying to tell the hibachi chef which uh, which knife is better. And oh yeah, and the lady that's dining there is like, I think the chef would know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, Dwight. All right, Brom, you got something for us? I'm ready. Ooh. Tube three, ready to fire, sir. Commence the countdown. Give it to me. All right, so listeners know that we enjoy getting off topic every once in a while. We were talking about no. VHSs a little bit ago. Uh, last week we talked about uh, sandwiches, uh, and and the, we had a little bit of a taste test review from uh, formerly known as Mustard Man. Uh, Alex was telling us about his review of Firehouse Subs, which I didn't agree with. Um, but, uh, we had some listeners who said they loved the sandwich content. They said they want more sandwich content Well, we're queuing up some more sandwich content, but to wet your whistle, I'm giving you my top six sandwiches, a la the, uh, beers worth of banter guys. They did their top six sandwiches a week or two back. Here are my top six sandwiches. Uh, spoiler, they are all hot sandwiches. I, I don't know. I just looked Ooh. at it. I, I like, I like them hot. I like them savory, succulent. 
going number six, Whoa. going with the Reuben. Ah, Leverkusen. Oh, Reuben. Hey, I don't know where you guys land on sauerkraut. I'm a big sauerkraut guy. Get that corned beef. A little bit of that. What is that? What the? Russian. What sauce is that? Russian dressing. Russian dressing. Russian dressing. I believe so. Russian mm-hmm. dressing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds right. And then you got that marbled rye bun. Mm, good stuff. You guys like Rubens? I always thought it was just Thousand Island. It's Russian oh, dressing. Oh, it might be Thousand Island. Oh. It's not that the same thing, but well, whatever. I, I don't know. It could be. I don't know enough. I just know I enjoy it. Number five. I'm looking it up. All right, you Thousand look it up. Thousand Island versus Russia. You guys like Rubens, though? Oh, big oh, time. Yeah. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. Number five, I'm going with the Philly cheesesteak. Um, if we're talking like big franchises, you know, I like a good Charlie's steak, uh, Philly cheesesteak. I've never had an authentic Philly cheesesteak, though, with that yellow sludge that they pour on there. It never really looks Not appetizing, either, yeah. but... Um, I'll have to give it a shot sometime, but I like our, uh, bastardized version, uh, of the Philly cheesesteak with, uh, you know, some provolone or pepper jack on there. Uh, number four, I'm going to go with, honestly, my favorite food, just put it on a sandwich. It's the buffalo chicken sandwich. Oh, oh man. Yeah. And you know, you find, oh, I have been on a quest for one. Really? Since I have moved to Minnesota. Yeah. You know who makes a good one, and this might be a hot take, but I think they're delicious, is is Arby's makes a good buffalo chicken sandwich or a buffalo chicken right. slider. Well, I don't know about that. I haven't eaten at Arby's in years. Oh, but, well, um, you got to give it a try then, Kyle. Their, their, sauce, their right. sauce is good. The chicken is typically uh, well-prepared, at least the one in our town is. Uh, the slider is pretty impressive size too. You get a pretty big piece of chicken on the slider. So I'll tell you what, man, there was this restaurant I used to go to when I lived in Toledo called table 44. I'll give them a shout out because they had hands down the best Buffalo chicken sandwich I have ever had in my life. And I used to go there quite frequently because mm-hmm. I was working in downtown and my word, man. I moved to Minnesota and I was on a quest. I was like, I need to find a buffalo chicken sandwich. And I've had a really hard time finding a buffalo chicken sandwich. I don't know. Jamie, you and I had one the other day, though. Yeah. And that one was pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty good. I liked it. But man, this one, I convinced all my coworkers, I'm like, you got to try this sandwich. Everybody's like, oh, yeah. Now, now, anytime we all went, everybody was getting buffalo chicken sandwiches. Like, this is the one. This is what we live for, guys. And what Kyle means is when we when he said we had a buffalo chicken sandwich, we ate the same sandwich together like Lady and the Tramp, where we munched the sandwich towards each other. Until you guys yeah. kissed. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if it, I mean, my mustache tickled his bare lip and then he pulled back. I, right. I would kiss a guy for a good buffalo chicken sandwich. <laughs> oh, here we go. Number three, I'm going to go with... Okay, now this one you will not know because it is from my high school lunch. It was the only lunch worthwhile at high school. I went to a parochial school, didn't have the budget to have uh, very good, tasty, nourishing lunches for the student populace. Uh, That was except for the Cav Booster sandwich, which was basically like a pizza sandwich. Uh, Never heard of it. Well, of course you have it Uh, because we were the Cavs, the Cavaliers. Uh, and this was the uh, Athletics Booster Sandwich. Uh, everyone would order extras. They were amazing. It was basically like, I think it was pepperoni and salami. It might have been just pepperoni only. I think it was pepperoni and salami, though. Mozzarella, 
marinara sauce sandwiched between toasted uh, um, garlic bread, garlic toast. Very good. Amazing stuff. Not, Sounds not, good. not seeing it online. Of course, it's not there. I can send you a picture. I took. I made one the other day after uh, I was inspired to make one, and uh, delicious, still good, even homemade. Um, I'll uh, I'll give you the ingredients. Very straightforward sandwich, though. Pizza sandwich, basically. Uh, just to just to backtrack a quick second, Kyle, did you get an answer on that uh, Thousand Island <laughs> Russian? Uh, there was. It looked quite wordy, but uh, I will. I'll bring it back <laughs> up here. Okay. Because I did see the Ruben. It's, it's Russian. It's Russian dressing on the okay. Ruben, right? And now okay. we're on the question: right, so is, is Russian dressing th- Thousand Island dressing? So from Washington Post, 2014, um, December 19th. That was my birthday, so that's great. Uh, Russian dressing recipes typically call for mayonnaise, chili sauce, or ketchup relish, horseradish, paprika, and other seasonings, making it spicier and less sweet than Thousand Island which is a hard-cooked egg, lemon, or orange juice, cream, and sweet pickle relish, or olives. All right. Huh. Sounds, like, so. sounds like people th- think to ask that, though, so they're probably similar enough that you might get a Reuben with a Thousand Island dressing on it every now and again. Yeah, maybe. Uh, number two, though, this one is uh, kind of, Kyle, you said you gave a shout-out. I'll give a shout-out to uh, the 311 Draft House in Piqua, Ohio, who makes the Pub Bub Burger. Uh, I got the description here. I had to pull it down. I, I will get this quite frequently. Uh, they've changed it a little bit, but the recipe I particularly liked was a soft, chewy pretzel bun. Fondue-style beer cheese smothered with a foursome of grilled green bell, roasted red chili, banana peppers, and jalapenos with a drizzle of sriracha sauce and crowned with an onion ring haystack on a nice medium-rare burger. That does sound pretty darn good, man. I love a good pretzel bun. It is delicious. And finally, number one, I'm. some people are going to love this, some people are absolutely going to hate this, and some people are not going to know what the hell I'm talking about, and that is the Skyline Cheese Coney. I, Wait, is this something with like Skyline Chili? It is Skyline Chili Oof. and, and uh, I think it's cheddar cheese on a really tiny hot dog that's way overpriced and super delicious. And for those that don't know, <sighs> Ohio-style chili looks like diarrhea. And, right. and it will give you diarrhea. And it will give you diarrhea, and it is um, it's really good. It's got cinnamon in it. Uh, a lot of it, and it's it's amazing, and I eat it a lot. Skyline cheese coney. Wow, man! And they call you call a hot dog a sandwich. Uh, the the other guys did, so I went with it as well, and it's it's my favorite thing in that vein. So, gotta give it some love. I'm gonna look this up right now. Look, oh my gosh, <laughs> my computer's listening. I typed "is a hot" and it's a dog sandwich. A sandwich. Let's go on. <laughs> it's jeff bezos listening to you yeah man no kidding uh there's all kinds of look at this there's all kinds of things jamie is your number one then the um chicken salad sandwich yeah so i'm trying to find that so as i said there's a bunch of places in came in boston and cambridge that are called like cafe something cafe whatever and so i'm looking at one we call cafe padima uh right here 
And I believe they have a, a sandwich similar to what I used to get. I'm just trying to find oh, it. They always they always had names like Boston College or um, all this kind of stuff. But no, <laughs> oh, this article's so good. <laughs> but I'm seeing, yeah, so I'm seeing chicken salad, bacon, lettuce, tomato is the Boston College sandwich at this place. Um, and that's the that's the type that I used to get. But the, it, it, these these types of cafes are all over Boston, and they all have kind of similar thing. They name them after the different schools: Boston College, MIT, Boston University, and they all are kind of the same wherever you go. Along with frozen yogurt, that's the other specialty they have. So yeah, that'd be my number one. It's the sandwich like I dream about. Um, and then it, there's a sandwich place that I grew up that's uh, super popular that had um, a, a Cuban sandwich on the vineyard. On the vineyard, uh, the Cuban sandwich. Um, oh, yeah. which was really, really good. And then a gobbler, which is like uh, all the pieces of a uh, Thanksgiving dinner. So um, it had stuffing, um, cranberry sauce, uh, uh, turkey, and all that. And usually you put that onto um, sourdough. So that was also a sandwich that I really liked. I'm not a big uh, Thanksgiving food guy. It's one of those. Oh, really? Yeah, it's one of those food groups I never really got into. Wow, dude, do you hate America? I do not, um, but uh, I don't know. Stuffing just doesn't do it for me. And oh, I could eat that all day. I can't. I can't. All right, what'd you? Uh, so, Cafe Caraz. That was the cafe that I used to go to. Cafe Caraz. Shout out to Cafe Caraz. They still in business? Um, I guess I don't know. Cafe Garros. Do you not ever go back to uh, visit your alma maters? Permanently closed. So no. Not not great. But they were great. Now, do you consider like a hero a sandwich? Uh, I I thought about it and like pitas and stuff like that, but I I decided to not. Because then you're like, and and then our burritos and all that kind of, I'm like, nah. All right, I would not call a burrito a sandwich. It's not get crazy here. No. I, I, I think a hot dog is a sandwich, though. All right. I'm going to read you this article then from USA Today. Linda Deutsch is a hot dog, a sandwich, council rules once and for all from November 7th, 2015. Hot dog is not a sandwich, according to an <laughs> official press release from the National <laughs> Hot Dog and Sausage Council. According to the council, our verdict is a hot dog is an exclamation of joy, a food, a verb describing one showing off, and even as an emoji, it is truly a category unto its own. Well, hot dog, limiting the hot dog's significance by saying it is just a sandwich Come on. is like calling the Dalai Lama just a guy. That's, that's, a, that's a horrendous argument. <laughs> Oh man! Would that uh, that's like, would that's that's qualify like like a, as a scientific source, Jamie? No, it's it's bullshit. Because the the problem is, is like you could say the same thing about a Philly cheesesteak. Is that not a sandwich, though? I would think it's a sandwich, right? It's, it's a, obviously a, a sandwich. sandwich. Let's look. Yeah, I don't. I don't like know what hamburger? the qualifier is. Does it need to be like in two separate? Like, does the does the bun need to be in two separate pieces? Because yeah, then that, oh, that would disqualify submarine sandwiches. So the dic- uh, the dictionary says for sandwich, two or more slices of bread or mm-hmm. the like with a layer of meat, fish, cheese, etc. between each pair. 
Yeah, so the that's the problem with the hot dog. Although occasionally you will get hot dogs where it's two separate pieces, right? Right. But it's just two or more, or the like. But the same thing with yes, with submarines, submarine sandwiches, and Subway. You know that is one piece of of bread sliced, but not sliced into two pieces. Is this conversation about sandwiches going to go on much longer? My tooth is killing me. Thank you for listening to Submersion. Don't forget to subscribe for new episodes every Thursday. If you like what you heard, please leave us a rating wherever you listen. Want to interact with us? Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We also love to get messages from all of you. If you have a suggestion, a comment, or just anything you'd like to share, please email us at maceaststudios at gmail.com. 